بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما آباد الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ایٹینتھ آف مارچ ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ So first, such is the virtue of sincerely acquiring the sacred knowledge that our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he is reported to have said, He who goes out in search of knowledge is then on the path of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala until he returns. SubhanAllah. He who goes out in search of knowledge is then on the path of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala until he returns. This is recorded in Tirmadi, Da'arimi and Udus. Shaykh Al-Bani Rahmatullahi however detected a weakness in his Da'iful Jami, number 5508. So, this narration has a weakness in the chain of transmission, but other reports substantiate it. So, what does it mean? That you are in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you're seeking knowledge. Because it's a type of jihad. Jihad is the fruit or one of the fruits of sacred knowledge. But the grace is that you are in the path of Allah until you return. So even after the, here for instance, the study circle finishes, you are still in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until you return to your dwelling. So again, like I mentioned, it falls under the umbrella of jihad. With regards to acquiring the knowledge, our beloved messenger further elucidated sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, afdalul ibadati talabul ilm. The best worship is seeking knowledge. This is recorded in Tabarani and Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid. So, how interesting. Afdalul ibadah. So, how is it that seeking knowledge is the best worship? Because there'd be no worship without knowledge. Every act of worship is based upon knowledge. So when you're acquiring knowledge, you are unlocking the doors to ibadat. So the Prophet simply says, it's the best worship, i.e. to seek knowledge for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Amman as Sufyan ibn Uyayna, tabatabi'in rahmatullahi. Ya Abu Muhammad, is knowledge better or is acting better? He replied, knowledge. Have you not heard Allah the Almighty and Glorious saying? And he recited Surah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Surah 47 verse 19 A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Najim Fa'alam annahu la ilaha illallahu wastaghfil li dhambik Know that there is no one worthy of worship but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and implore him to forgive your sins Thus, he begins with knowledge before practice. This is recorded in Behaqi in Shu'ab al-Iman, number 1694. So again, how many people ask this question? Is it better to acquire knowledge or is it better to act, to do deeds? So, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he says the answers in the Quran. Fa'alam, know, know what? Annahu la ilaha illallah, that there is no one worthy of worship but Allah. 
So Allah Ta'ala has put a condition in the shahada. You must know what the shahada is. If you pun it, it is not good enough. <laughs> and then he explains those. He begins with knowledge even before the shahada. <laughs> he begins with knowledge even before the shahada, which is the best of these. <laughs> so note how the salaf would elevate the acquiring of knowledge. <laughs> this is why Yahya ibn Kathir <laughs> rahmatullahi said, La yustata'ul ilmu Knowledge cannot be acquired by resting one's body. Knowledge cannot be acquired by resting one's body. This is in Sahih Muslim, number 1390, in the chapter on masjids and places of prayer. So again, what did the Salaf say? He goes, you can't acquire knowledge easily. You need to go through effort to acquire knowledge. So people now query this because... We've got Google. <laughs> so the response is, yes, you've got Google, but even that takes effort. Why? Because people are taking the knowledge from the shiuch. <laughs> Just you pressing buttons, is Allah Ta'ala is making it easy for you to acquire it. But of course you have to be careful. Make sure you go to the relevant sites which are being vetted. It was about such individuals with little or non, no knowledge. That our mother Sayyida Aisha had said, would end up with this characteristic. مَا أَسْرَ النَّاسَ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَعِيبُوا مَا لَا عِلْمَ لَهُمْ بِهِ How quick the people are to criticize that of which they have no knowledge. This is in Sahih Muslim, number 2253, in the chapter on funerals. So what did our mother say? Because this is a sign of ignorance. When people criticize, and they're good, they're critics, they're called critics, a critic, according to Aisha, is a person with no knowledge. <laughs> he just criticizing He goes, because you've got no knowledge. <laughs> so one of the signs that exposes the ignorant is that they're just criticizing all the time. <laughs> he goes, how quick the people criticize that of which they have no knowledge. <laughs> so for instance, you know, one of the favorite pastimes is to find fault with the soul. <laughs> the purity of the heart. So a lot of people are ignorant of that science. So they start criticizing it. <laughs> You start saying this has got nothing to do with Islam. This is folkloric Islam. It's not based upon the Quran and Sunnah. But when they actually learn a little bit about their deen, they realize it's drenched in the Quran and Sunnah. So Aisha, what did she say? He goes, people quickly criticize that of which they have no knowledge. Nor therefore the harm these individual cause to others. Ironically thinking, they are benefiting them. Indeed, these people are furthest from being amongst the learned. For Qatada Rahmatullah said, He who does not know about different opinions has not even smelt fiqh with his nose. He who does not know about different opinions has not even smelt fiqh with his nose. Recorded by Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar Rahmatullah in his Jami Bayan al Ilm 2-47. So this is the beauty of the learned. The learned are aware of the difference of opinion. And what's the outward sign of that? They find ease for you. <laughs> so they'll say, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and when you ask them respectfully, they go, yeah, some of the shuyukh have said that this is an acceptable practice. But then you get those, uh, you know, <laughs> the shotgun brothers. <laughs> he goes, it's our way or the highway. <laughs> right? So the response to that is, they are not acquainted with the difference of opinion. Therefore, they haven't got any fiqh. 
fiqh can only be obtained when you're aware of the difference of opinion. You know, for instance, you know, very simple examples you can give. It happens to me all the time. Brother asked me, he goes, why do Hanafis pray Fajr Leh? So then it goes, because there's a hadith on it. And he was baffled, because which hadith? Because the hadith says, you know, in the darkness they would pray and they would return. I goes, yeah, that's right. That's in Sahih Muslim. I goes, but in Nasai Sahih, the Prophet said, the Fajr is more rewarding when the light emerges. And he was baffled. You should have seen this, you know, got a picture. He was, you know, like, a, you know, the, the rabbit stuck, you know, with the, you know, the floodlights hitting it. There you go. He hasn't even smelled thick. So when you expose yourself to different opinions, you will now start to understand the beauty of the deep. Undoubtedly, sadly, we are now living in the end of times in which our beloved messenger mentions that let alone acquiring sacred knowledge, the carriers of it will be looked down upon and even mocked. For instance, in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ubada ibn As-Samid said to one of his friends, I fear if you live to see a man reading the Quran on the tongue of the Prophet, he then studies, exposes, and then enjoins the good and forbids the evil. They will then come down from their positions of honor and respect to one of mockery. Indeed, the people would not listen to him. And we seek refuge, treat him like a dead, dead donkey's head. I as someone who is useless. So let's look at this. So Obada ibn Asamit, he's a Badri. He's one of those who pledged at Aqaba, which was a prerequisite to Badr. So he was one of the senior companions. And he said, a time is coming and I fear you're going to live to that time. That a person will recite the Quran, he will study, he will do everything what he's supposed to be doing, an alim. Mm. <coughs> but they will be disrespected. People will not listen and they will treat him like a dead donkey. Mm. So have we got into that time? Yes. People have no respect for the scholars. Right? So what do I mean by this? Knowledge per se, they haven't got respect. For instance, traditionally, if you look at the households, there was ulama from every tribe. And they would be proud of that. You know, there'd be Shaykh al-Hadith, Shaykh al-Quran, you know, Mufti here and there. How many are there now in the families? Secondly, those who actually do become alim, are they respected? So you'll see, you know, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Who doesn't know what he's talking about? He goes, Mufti Sab. And then he goes, so, well, who are you? Right? He goes, oh, no, no, he doesn't know, but I know. So hasn't that time arrived? He goes, people are belittling the scholars. And also, if you look at our glorious past, the Prophet in his lifetime, there was two brothers. So one was always with the Prophet, learning and learning and studying. The other brother, he was earning his keep. So one day, the one who was earning his keep, he came to the Prophet He goes, Ya Rasulullah, he goes, my brother's with you learning, but I have to basically do the upkeep, meaning he should be helping me. The Prophet said, maybe he's actually feeding you. 
This is in Tirmidhi, Sayyih Gharib. So what does that mean? It means that the one who acquires knowledge is a source of rizq for the family. Now you ask a person, you know if this son of yours becomes an alim, what would happen? Well, I've sacrificed dunya. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean you sacrificed dunya? He goes, well, he could have been a doctor. Well, yeah, he'd be an alim. And they give the impression that he's lost his dunya. He's not only gained dunya, he's become a source of rizq for the family. And then there's that tragic narrative. One of the sheikh mentioned, I think it was in Morocco. There was a blind youngster and the family he was from, was all, they were all professionals. Doctors, lawyers and the rest of it, right? So because he was blind, they thought, well, he can't really take up a profession. So we'll make him an alim. Stop Allah. So what happened? They put him into, uh, I think it was Al-Azgar. And he was so blessed. He was going through the ranks very quickly. You know, became a hafiz very quickly. He studied the fiqh, became a learned jurist. And then the people thought, SubhanAllah, he's going to be one of the great, you know, scholars of the time. But what happened? He got his side bike. When he got his side bike, family took him out. And then the Sheikh was narrating this. He goes, this is how people respect knowledge. Imagine, in other words, you know, we'll give the scrap for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if he's got any good benefit, we'll take him out. We'll need him. And that is why one of the reasons we're in this mess. Because knowledge is not being respected. Those practice upon their knowledge would not be spread. Our beloved messenger said, amongst the signs or that a Muslim in a tribe will become more insignificant than a naqad, a small lamb. This is in Tabarani. Amongst its signs, either our, or that a Muslim in a tribe will become more insignificant than a small lamb. And if you don't realize this is happening, just go to the Muslim lands. A person in the West, which is ironic, he, he learns his deen. He goes back to the so-called Muslim lands. How did they treat him? Why have you got a beard? That's the, one of the questions, popular questions they ask. Why, why, why you got a beard? It's, it's wajib, isn't it? He goes, no, but you're not married. And he goes, what's marriage going to do with it? He goes, nobody will give you their daughters. Why you got a hat on? You're not praying. Why are you trousers above your ankles? Right? So then what happens? They are looking down upon the one and how are they looking at you? They're looking at you as a naqad, a small lamb. And what's interesting, there's also connotations. Why? Because it could also refer to the fact that because of your practicing, they use you. So they'll start saying, doesn't Islam say that you should give money to your relatives? And he goes, well, yes it does. Am I not your relative? So the Prophet said, Naqad, meaning they're using you. So note, the scholars on spread, those who are practicing are looked down upon as silly people. And what's interesting, the progressives, <laughs> the progressives, so who are these progressives? The fruitcakes. Because Islam's got to move on from the medieval time. So the response is, who said it's gone back? Who said things have progressed? He goes, well, he has progressed. It was progressed. Science. Science is not Islam. Right? Has anything progressed? Really? Nothing. Where's the proof? When the Prophet ﷺ received the final, uh, well, one of the last verses, Today I have 
chosen Islam as your religion. I have perfected my favor to you. Chosen Islam as your religion. Surah Ma'idah verse 3. Umar wept. So when somebody asked, I think it was the Prophet himself, why are you weeping Umar? He goes, Ya Rasulullah, what comes after perfection except imperfection? Meaning we've peaked. But now it's going to be a, you're going to slide back. So there's no such thing as a progressive. We've gone backwards. And yeah, who was making those statements? Not, Mus- not non-Muslims. Muslims are making it. We need to move on. Times have moved on. Compare this to what the venerable Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar bin Abdul Aziz said to a gathering of the blind about his venerable teacher Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah ibn Mas'ud He is more beloved to me than a thousand dinars. Subhanallah. He, I, my teacher, Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah ibn Mas'ud is more beloved to me than a thousand dinars. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat 5-250, Hafiz Ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb 7-22. So what's interesting? Who's Umar bin Abdul Aziz? Amir al-Mumini. Who is his teacher? He's blind. So he's a teacher, but he's blind. Did he consider him to be worth anything? Because he's more beloved to me than a thousand gold coins. So look at the contrast. The Salaf understood the value of the people of knowledge. The people of ignorance don't. Abdullah ibn Abbas he said in Qurtubi in his tafsir that to look at an, a person of the Sunnah is an act of worship. To look at a person of the Sunnah or the one calling to the Sunnah is an act of worship. So what did Ibn Abbas say? He goes, do you belittle the ulama? He goes, they say, bother to look at them. Allah the last recording, you worship. Umar bin Abdul Aziz was more beloved than a thousand dinars. So now imagine somebody asked you, brother, what's worth more than a thousand gold coins to you? <laughs> so what they say? My car. He goes, well, mashallah, right? Anything else? My wife, right? Uh, anything else? My children. Very good. Anything else? Because why you keep asking me these questions? Because what's more beloved to you? Because my teachers. And then you'll go, oh, my teachers? And they'll even pull that you know, funny expression. Why do you love your teachers that much? Because I value knowledge. Right? And there you go. That's the whole point. Allah has honored the people with knowledge. Note the eagerness of the blind to acquire knowledge. He became the teacher of Umar bin Abdul Aziz. Blind. One of the ways of venerating the scholars is simply not to pursue their faults. For leave aside such a noble group, our beloved messenger won't, Sallallahu Do not search out their faults. For verily he who pursues their mistakes, Allah Ta'ala will pursue his. And whoever has his errors pursued by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala shall expose them even if he was hiding in his home. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 4-421. So now this is common. Pursuing the faults of the scholars. You just have to go onto YouTube. The errors of this and the errors of that. And they even mock it. They start mocking it. Because look what he said in, the, in his previous life. Look what he's saying now in his current life. So then you say, oh, you're finding faults of the scholars. Is that your, you know, because I'm serving Islam. 
right? The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, don't search out their faults. You disobeyed them. <laughs> Secondly, if you pursue their mistakes, somebody's going to pursue your mistakes. Who's that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> Number three, Allah ta'ala will expose you even in your home. He's going to humiliate you if you find fault with the skulls. Look how shocking that is. So this is common and people don't even realize how great. And also, you know, to mention one sheikh, Sheikh Yasir Qadi, because he doesn't believe the Quran is preserved. He doesn't believe in Ya'juj and Ma'juj being behind the wall. He doesn't, and they mention all this, all these things about him. So we get to hear it on the street eventually. What? what? He goes, yeah, he's, you know, he probably left Islam. So what did he do? Yasir Qadi. He did, uh, you know, every question that people had said about him. There was another sheikh sitting with him, and the sheikh was asking him the question. Because do you believe the Quran is not preserved? And then Sheikh Yasir Qadi goes, Audhu Billah. <laughs> That's the first thing came out of his mouth. He goes, which person doesn't believe the Quran is preserved? And then he went on to explain what he meant. Then he goes, did you believe this about Yajuj and Majuj? And he went, he answered all the questions. I think it was about 40 questions. And then eventually the other sheikh goes, may Allah, Allah preserve us from finding fault with the scholars. <laughs> so why did he do that? Because he wanted the people to know, look, you're all on YouTube, so I'm going to have to go on YouTube now. YouTube generation, right? To tell you that these are just lies and slanders about me. But now don't worry about Sheikh Yasir Qadi. <coughs> worry about the ones who are finding fault with him. Because Rasulullah warned them. So all these people you see, and they're young as well, which is interesting. All youngsters, fresh. And what's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Because Allah is going to pursue them now. And they're going to get humiliated. So you watch. Unless they repent before it's too late. They're going to get humiliated. How could one be harsh to such noble souls when for their libin iyad, Imam Shafi's teacher, he said, 70 sins are forgiven an ignorant one before one is forgiven for a scholar. This is in Abu Nu'im al-Hilya 7-286 and 8-110. So let's look at this. For their libni iyad, he, he was uh, a bandit. He used to go around robbing. Eventually he did Tawbah. He became a big scholar. He lived in Makkah. And he was a teacher of Imam Shafi. That says it all. What did he say? If you are ignorant, meaning you're a Muslim, but you haven't got deep knowledge, Allah will forgive 70 of your sins. But if you are an alim, he will forgive only one. So a person goes, well, that's, that's a bad deal. Who wants to be a scholar? That wasn't his intention. What his intention was is, have mercy upon them. That's what he was trying to get across. He goes, look, Allah is strict with the scholars. He demands more from them. So we should also show compassion to them. Allah Ta'ala is strict with them and you're being even strict with them more than others. That's why Allah Ta'ala becomes furious on their behalf. And similarly, Abu Darda, what did he say? Woe one time to he who does not know an axe. But woe seven times to he who knows and does not act upon his knowledge. This is in Abu Na'im al-Hiliya 1-211. So if you do not know and you act, Abu Darda was warning to you, 
you should learn your deed. For if you know and you are disobeying, he goes warning to you, warning to you seven times. So the golden rule is, our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala takes to account more severely the scholars, but he also defends them ferociously. Thus, this in reality is only out of love for them. Whilst conversely, we should be gentle and considerate with them, just as our Lord is more so with us. This is what the scholars say. As the great Ibn Asakir said, a Shafi from Damascus, Hafiz Ibn Asakir warned, the flesh of scholars is poison. So if you talk ill about people, that's bad enough. You talk about scholars, you might as well get a bottle of bleach, knock it back, how long are you going to live? And it's a common thing, and they don't even spare the giants. You know, if you're thinking, okay, these modern scholars, you know, God help them in it, astaghfirullah. They don't even spare the giants. Because this Sheikh, he was weak in Hadith. He goes, which Sheikh? He goes, Imam Abu Hanifa. <laughs> and I goes, Imam Abu Hanifa. He goes, yeah, he goes, he, he, he's classified as Daif. <coughs> and he goes, all right. So an Imam of the Ummah was classified as Daif, yes. So why was he Daif? He goes, he didn't have, you know, he was, his memory failed him. His memory failed him, mashallah. Anything else? And he goes, yeah, he, I think he knew about 17 hadiths. <laughs> and, then you, and then he goes, boy, what I mean by that is that, you know, the 17 hadiths, but he knew the chains of it, but there were 17, if you cut down the chains. So every one of them is a slander. And this is what's interesting. Out of the four imams, which Imam is slandered the most? And this shows that he's Imam Yazid. You know, do you ever hear people slandering Imam Malik? You know, every now and again you get a little, you know, Imam Shafi, every now and again, Imam Ahmed, every, Imam, floodgates with Abu. He goes, one person said, he goes, there's no, there's no been greater harm to this Ummah than Abu Hanifa. He's been the greatest harm to this Ummah. <coughs> Astaghfirullah. And who was his grand, grand Sheikh? Abdullah ibn Masood. So you must go for Ibn Masood. And they don't. They don't even spare Abdullah ibn Masood because he had a weak memory as well. Because he forgot Rafael Din. Did he forget Rafael Din? MashaAllah. How did he forget Rafael Din? Well, because he was standing behind the Prophet for 23 years and he forgot. And then he goes, if I stood behind a, a normal Imam for 23 years, I'm not going to forget how he prays. And he forgot how the Prophet prayed. And he goes, yeah, but he got old. And he, he got old. He died at 63. That's not old. He goes, yeah, but why didn't he, why didn't he do Rafael? Oh, that's why. Because you do it, he doesn't do it. So instead of you humbling yourself, you think you know better than him. Then I'll spread. Then who's left after that? Nobody except the Prophet. And to finish, the people of knowledge who deliberately misguide others, they carry a great, great sin. How do we know? In Sayyid Muslim, number 7058, in the chapter on hypocrites and the rulings concerning them, Abu Huraira radiallahu alayhi wa beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Lauta ba'ani asharatan minal yahudi lam yabqa ala zahriha yahudiyan illa aslam. If just 10 of the Jews followed me, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there would be no Jew left on the earth who would become a Muslim. <laughs> So let's look at this. Sayyid Muslim. What did the Prophet say? 
because there's 10 of them. <laughs> Look how interesting. Because in the Jewish world, there's 10. <laughs> if those 10 followed me, all the Jews would become Muslim. So what was he highlighting? He was highlighting the great, great, great crime of the learned. They know and they're deliberately misguiding. The Prophet ﷺ was basically telling us to put where to put our venom. Our venom is not on the Jews. Our venom is upon their hierarchy who know the truth and they're destroying the, their followers. And if it wasn't a hadith, you could argue. But the Prophet mentioned the name. Because ten of them. And we've got the blessed ten. Ashal and Mubashal. There's another a cursed ten. Who were they? Somebody, I don't know who they were. Right? The Prophet said, Allah said, there's ten of them. And if you look at the seerah, you notice some names keep popping up every now and again. Amongst the Jews. Trying to trip up the Prophet So note, there's always these people in the world. Yusuf Estes. Somebody asked him about um, Jimmy Swagger. So who's Yusuf Estes? Yusuf Estes was a Christian. He was a pastor. And he embraced Islam. And his story was very interesting, but you can Google it. When he embraced Islam, obviously he was well in with the Christians. He knew the hierarchy. One of his associates was Jimmy Swagger, who's got a ministry now called Swagger Ministries. Very eloquent. Ahmad Dila said if I could be converted just by eloquence, I would have become Christian by Jimmy Swagger. You know, rich, powerful voice. But that doesn't mean anything if you haven't got the truth. Rich, uh, Yusuf Estes, he says, somebody asked him about Jimmy Swagger. He goes, have you talked to Jimmy Swagger? What's, what's the situation with regards to him? And, you know, putting it into my own words, Yusuf Estes paused, he didn't want to say anything. But then he goes, he knows... That's what he said. He knows. So, when I heard that, I remember this hadith. He's got a whole ministry. Millions, if not, I don't know how many millions watch his broadcast. Swagger ministries. And what did he think he say about him? Yusuf Estes, he knows. So these are the shaitans. Unless he repents. They're the ones taking the people. Imagine, you're on the pulpit. And in your heart, you think Islam is the truth. I'm but I'm not going to propagate it. Sorry, it's not going to happen. I'm going to keep pumping kufr. <laughs> They're the ones who are destroying people. Astaghfirullah. Old Jimmy. May Allah give him hidayat. So all I mentioned today was basically about sacred knowledge. And again, another unending subject. Are there any questions you like us?